0: Hello and welcome to the English Futsal Podcast. Joining me as always, the bearded wizard, the left foot flip flap king himself, Mr. Stuart Cook. Cookie, how are we doing?
1: I'm alright, thank you. Uh, Getting more creative every week with them. Uh, I suppose I'll have to throw some compliments back at some point. Uh, Absolutely. Give us a couple of weeks to to find some. uh, Not required. uh, I'll, I'll do my best.
0: Please don't worry about it. You will struggle to narrow it down. Today's topics include a quick recap on some of our previous guests, a little bit about some of the episodes we've got in the pocket and some upcoming guests, uh, as well as talking a bit about who future guests will be. So we're going to tickle our guests a little bit and then we're going to reflect on some of our recent uh, poor performances and follow that up with a little bit around some discussion on the league and the overall uh, predictions going into next year and what what the uh, divisions might look like. Sound good, Cookie?
1: Yeah, perfect. Uh, like you we said, we've got we've we've been recording a couple of podcasts over the past couple of weeks, but um, for various different reasons we've not quite been able to to get the timeline right. So we thought we'd jump on just to keep uh listeners engaged and not go two weeks without a podcast. Uh we'll uh, shoot the shiitake mushrooms and We'll uh, we'll get the the content that the listeners actually want to listen to ready in the next couple of weeks.
0: Superb. So on on that note, um, again, massive thanks to everyone who's who's come forward and agreed to be on the pod. I think starting off with our first guest, which was Catherine. Obviously, uh, covered a lot of topics there. Um, I think we've seen particularly in a couple of the upcoming pods with Erna and Steffi around how that culture uh, within the club was so important that's really um, sort of bled through from from that podcast or the points she was mentioning there.
1: Yeah I think um, even when you listen to Mark's podcast you could you can hear that within each group and sets of sort of Communities, whether that be each club, whether that be the sport as a whole, or whether that be the officials, it, you can see that what people are involved in this sport for is the the culture and the the enjoyment they get out of it, not the the financial incentives or you know progressing into necessarily up the ladder in in a career path sort of scenario everybody's in it for ultimately what i think are the right reasons which is to to get enjoyment and to to help grow the sport and i think that comes across with with every guest we've spoken to and certainly sort of like i say resonates with me at Bolton in that we we're trying to create that family feel for everybody involved um whether it be sort of the academy and the young players but at the same time you know, parents getting involved and, and helping with timekeeping and volunteering on the day. And like I've mentioned previously, obviously, Natalie started out as parent, took shop runner, you know, taking the odd under eight session just to facilitate and now being our chairperson. And I think maybe one of the only female chairpersons within the NFS, but, you know, that kind of, pathway is it, it looks evident across most of the clubs is that put your hand up get involved and get become a part of that that club's community
0: yeah and uh, the topic of chairpersoning and um, will also come out in an upcoming pod we have with Stephen Mitchell who is the independent chair of England Futsal um, and you know I think to the layman like what does a chairperson do like you'd have I'd have no idea without being in the kind of business world what what that role is in terms of you're overseeing a lot of stuff not necessarily getting involved in the in the nitty-gritty and obviously it changes with the size of organisation but un- understanding all the different facets of a futsal club how it runs I think what's clear is it's not simple there's a lot of things you have to consider and I think coming up against budget seems to be the you know the, the biggest the biggest hurdle let alone facilities, not the usual stuff we talk about?
1: Yeah, I think every club, um, whether it have been running for 15, 20 years or whether it's 12 months in the making, I think the biggest uh, issue that they come up against is is budget and how they can fund each facet of their club, whether it be the, the academy stuff and getting coaches involved and getting facility hire, or whether it be trying to fund a tier one team, a tier two team and a women's team. So, hopefully, over the coming weeks, we have conversations with various different people and clubs that allow them to impart their knowledge on how they've progressed from being that infant club with with a couple of teams at under sixteens level to being a team that now has links with universities and has development teams and you know i've I've gone through that journey to help people you know a star futsal for instance who are one of our, well, certainly one of the people who engage with us as as a podcast, but also me personally. Um, you know, Matt is really keen on on learning from everybody else. And I also think in the short period of time that he's been involved in futsal, he's made some really good strides within his own little setup. So, you know, hopefully in the future, we'll maybe get Matt on and he can give us his journey uh, in that short period of time. But I've also had conversations with Matt Hardy at Derby, who have been an integral part of English futsal for you know, the last 10 to 15 years. And I think where they've got to now with that university link and having a books team and a development team, and now the ultimate goal of sort of that tier one team and performing well in tier one, I think getting his journey again would, would be different than the mine, for instance, at Bolton and how I got involved and what we do at our club, because it's different to what they do. So, Getting all those kind of different viewpoints, I think, is really good for for everybody to engage with and to help understand what does and doesn't work for each individual.
0: Yeah, it's come up a few times, Bucks, hasn't it? I suppose at that point, people are already... Well, firstly, it's only people who are at university, so you're missing a huge chunk of the world. Then they're 18, so any possible hopes of being professional are a lot harder. What's the kind of equivalent... Is like a, a school... A school sort of competition equivalent to books where they do futsal? Does that exist? Do you know,
1: I'm not sure it exists. And I do know that there's good work going on around in various different places for people trying to get in, get in, into it. And we have engaged with Bruce Voss up in uh, Sunderland, uh, Newcastle area, uh, the northeast, who My has ends. a school slightly northern of your ends. But uh, yes, you're more pork pie Yorkshire, aren't you? <laughs> but i think engaging with with bruce and get I, i'm really really intrigued to listen to bruce and and to pick his brains because i think what he's managed to achieve in getting futsal within a, the school curriculum and environment is for me the the biggest challenge for us as a as a sport i think if we can do that throughout the counties and ultimately across the country that gives us the next stage of development in terms of player pool and participation in that we get players playing the game at, on a regular basis in safe environments and often. And I think that's yeah. that's huge. I think not everyone
0: is probably aware, but each county has their own key performance indicators and some of them include participation. And some of those counties see footsal as a massive way to drive the number of people playing sport in their in their county, and that's that, that again is a really good source not only for for players getting into the game, but actually those those are leaders. I think uh, I mean there's a couple of
1: guys. I think did Louis come through the county side of things, or if I got that I, wrong? I don't know for definite. I know he's got a huge part. He plays a huge part in books at the moment with with Saint Mary's, and I know he's a real advocate for the books route. Yeah, I'm not I, I, sure exactly what his background is. And hopefully, like I say, I've, again, Louis, Louis is somebody who I value, opinion I value really highly. And I think he's a really important member of our community. So I have, he will at some point appear and you can grill him uh, and I'll just listen <laughs> and take it all in. Yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah,
0: terrible journalism, but there are definitely key advocates for futsal within the counties, but there's, you know, however many counties and it's not such a high priority for everyone but i could see a world where each county's running these competitions you know you've got the pokemon uh futsal or youth youth cup i don't know if pokemon's a part of it or not um but that could essentially have all these clubs and they could then be linked to the futsal clubs which we have and then in turn have that box link as well and i think that'd be a really good source of actually getting people excited in the sport and giving them that future pathway and that and that kind of touches upon some of the, some of the other stuff that would that we'll talk about in upcoming pods in terms of having um, the kind of superstars and, and this is something you'll hear us talk about particularly around the women's game not having had that national pathway in the past once that gets there can we create these stars and then give other give other players someone to aspire to be uh, obviously Cookie you've you've been there you've been that person that uh, I know a few kids have, have looked up to rocking the number 12 on their shirt and stuff in the past and Rayoni had a few young fans and I think that, that's you know it's great to see that kids are really engaged in the sport and they want to go and, you know, follow, following in their
1: footsteps. Yeah. And I think sort of, te- I would say probably 10 years ago, I think the sport was getting to a point where we were on the brink of maybe having a couple of players who were capable of being that sort of poster boy, I suppose. Uh, and I think Liam probably has become that in sort of that period of time going abroad and, you know, coming back and, and just talking about his experiences. I think one of the problems we probably have as a community is I'm not sure we know how to take a player who is capable of being that poster boy and actually sort of making it, making it them. Uh, I know clubs have sort of tried and, and probably done it within maybe their own little community, which is great because that's where we all need to start. Um, I suppose from a league and a now an England football point of view is how can we take it to the next level from a sport and an overall sport? Is it a case of us picking a handful of men and a handful of women and going, actually, these are the people who we want to put out there to the public and say, look, you know, can you go and be the next Richard Ward, um, Russell Goldstein? Although I wouldn't wish that on anybody a little bit higher please <laughs> <laughs> um Excellent. you know but on, on the women's side you know i think i think laura is is, a, is an amazing player and she's an amazing personality and you know i think a, a lot of the, the girls who are coming into our club really look up to laura because of you know the, the type of person she is you know and i'm sure it's the same across many of the other clubs uh, within the country and i you know i think we have to find a way to, to to grasp the grasp the opportunity to create a superstar. And hopefully the national teams coming back gives us an opportunity to do that as a sport, because previously we've maybe been hindered by the FA and the the kind of content that we can put out there. But I'm sure as you'll hear England Futsal in the next couple of podcasts are looking at ways they can grow their social media presence and that's the logical next step for them and also for the NFS, which I think everybody could probably argue could do more. And I think they're quite open to doing that. Uh, I know from sitting on the the mid-season review that, you know, there's a, there is a think group being started for social media. So hopefully we get a little bit more engagement from the community to help the NFS with that. And we all start to see it, you know, we've done this, we've done a podcast, You know, we've seen uh, a couple of guys who have started total futsal and trying to get a bit more information on a weekly basis out there. And I know in the background, there's a couple of other things that might come out in the near future in terms of sort of the match of the day type stuff, which again, it's just like you said on the very first episode content, how can we get content out there? Because without content, we can't create superstars.
0: Absolutely. And I, I miss it. I want more. I want more to watch. It's my hobby, my passion. Um, on on that point, then, on the, on the superstars, one thing that often comes up is actually trying to play abroad in order to do that. Obviously, there's no professional pathway for futsal in the UK. We do have a couple of players who've gone abroad and done it, uh, all with far more success than I had
1: doing it. Um, but
0: should we just, talk about that just, a little no, bit? No, or should no, we talk no, about no, that for a separate to, pod? Just thing? to
1: jump in there, can, can you explain for the listeners, <laughs> because not everybody will know your professional futsal background and how that went? Okay, well... Uh, as a former
0: professional football <laughs> player, uh, so sort of twenty twenty sixteen, um, been in the England team a few years, and I was really thinking, you know, how how do I actually push on and you know be a more important player in the team? Um, genuinely, that was my motivation. It's like you know, England was there; it was a huge carrot for me. I wanted to fully commit to it. How do I actually go to the next level? And had a season at year 2016 when I moved down to London, moved, moved to London to play for Helvesia, Um, amongst other things. But that was sort of one of the main motivations. Um, I just wanted to get better. And then I thought, um, you know, Wallace was playing abroad. I thought I'd give it a go. Um, made a, a beautiful highlights video where it polished off all my imperfections and even the goals that were left were pretty shabby. But LinkedIn with some dodgy agency who managed to hook me up a club in second division in Italy. Uh, not a very good career path, I don't think, and I think there's other players who've been burned from going down that way. But either way, I had a pretty good job. Quit it. Um, went for a doing futsal less than a quarter of what I was on, so f- fully throwing myself in there just to just to try it out. I was sort of 26 as well, so not not fully young, but give it a go. And then it started well, like. Pre-season, nailed pre-season, playing every game, doing, genuinely doing well. And then there came a point where one of the clubs had basically invested in all these first division players. And they, they were going up, hands down. And another club had gone into bankruptcy and had left the league. So my club couldn't get promoted, wouldn't get relegated. So it was a bit of a nothing-to-play-for season. And at that point, me and the other foreigners were um, were basically sacked. And I was on 800 euros a month and the uh, the club never paid me. I was there for two months. The club paid me 500 euros, but they did put us up in a, in a flat. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. But then when that all happened, I, to be honest, like, I called Scoob's and I said, Scoob's, look, this has happened. What do you think I should do? Do you think I should come back? And he just said, look, just come back, come back with this England camp, like, their pay-for-flights at the time, which was you know, hugely appreciated, And came back and then re- pressed reset on their whole career and then went again, really.
1: Yeah, just to jump in, and obviously a lot, I made light of it, but I speak to a lot of players and people who advocate going abroad, and I don't not advocate for it. I, I think if people want to go abroad for the experience, then go and do it. If it's right for you and it's right for your journey and right for your life at that time, then go and do it. My, where my opinion differs to some other people is that if you're going out there to make a career within futsal and to earn money, then you have to be very careful because everybody who was every English player I know of that has gone out and arranged to go abroad has come back with a bad experience. Um Liam did it for a lot longer than the others, but ultimately his experience was soured at, at more than one of his clubs. Um, and then obviously he was let down with his final contract being torn up when he thought everything was sorted and he was planning on moving to France. So whilst going abroad is great for the experience and to try and grow as a futsal player, I think anybody who's looking at it as a career at the moment, I just don't think the sport is ready. Um, and Liam's already mentioned it. We now have the issue that we're not part of the EU and you're, you're classed as one of the foreign players. So actually you're now competing with Brazilians and South Americans and other types of players who just have, rightly or wrongly, um, a better reputation because of where they're from. As English players, we don't have, oh, these are going to be great English players because they've been playing it for 80 years. It's a very much a case of, well, if you're not playing for England in one of the, and the standout play for England, foreign countries probably don't rate you. Um, and you have to prove them wrong on that front. Um, so yeah, I, I had this, we had this discussion. I I had this discussion on Twitter with somebody recently and I was like, look, for me, you can, you can grow a lot in England. You just have to try and live the same life in England. You would do if you were living abroad, which means committing to gym sessions, committing to strength and conditioning, committing to two to three training sessions a week. And also asking questions of anybody and everybody who you think can help you grow and improve as a player. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we touched on that because that's that's something I wanted to kind of get out there. Probably way even before this, I have, the, I have the discussion with at least a couple of people this season about going abroad. You know, Mikey was going to go out, the. I think it was the beginning of last season. And I said to him, I said, if you're going out for experience, go and do it. I said, but if it's career and money, you need to be very careful. And ultimately, Mikey never made it out there because it all went wrong before he even got there. And that's the kind of, situation because there's the governance around futsal isn't there it's not at sort of a professional level it's very difficult to be looked after you know and that i think you be aware of that
0: anything my yeah. contract for them it's a contract until it's i oh know it's an agreement so uh yeah be careful and, and what you said there cookie about you know you can get that knowledge here i think one of the big cultural things we have not only in sport but in education is people are bullied for trying to get better and they are called busy or they are called a nerd or whatever it is. But actually, I think hopefully society is changing a little bit more in the younger generation. You know, there's more of a focus on having a growth mindset and that kind of stuff, which I think is great. But I think people need to not be called, you know, busy for trying to do extras or whatever it is for them to get better and actually get on their bandwagon. Because if we're all pushing forwards rather than trying to pull people back, it everything will grow. And I think we're not there now. We might not even ever get there. But like you said, you you can get to that level if you do the gym sessions. If we get our coaches where they need to be, you know, there's definitely a way forward for us.
1: Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. Uh, I agree completely in terms of the the busyness stuff. And I, I've I've lived through that. I think that's a uh, sort of a an, an aging issue from an old fo- old football mentality and sort of if you you kind of link it to like the old drinking culture within football that slowly disappeared i do believe that the growth mindset is slowly taking over and i think you see it within non-league now as well actually a lot of young players take non-league really seriously they're a lot fitter than they used to be they take it a lot more seriously than i ever did and that's starting to filter down the leagues and into different kind of environments and futsal really needs to be be one of those environments Cool. Well, yeah,
0: an interesting segue to get into. And I think we'll go into more detail with that with Liam definitely in the future and, and maybe some of the upcoming guests. Um, Some other news that's come out recently is we've got the invites out for the next uh, England Futsal male national training or squad get-together day. I don't know what officially what, what we're calling it, but some players have been called up to something. Um, Thoughts on that, Cookie?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's a logical next step. Obviously, we've had a previous iteration of the 19s uh, 12 months ago, success. Um, I know that group has sort of stayed together and been training on and off over the past 12 months. In the last six to nine months, we've seen the women's national team get together and have their training days. And we've now got the new group of under-19s training together. So I think, like I say, logically, it was always good going to come that the men's national team would have some training days over the next few months between now and the end of the season. And I think for everybody and anybody who has been invited to that, it's, it's the first step on trying to, to regrow the the national sport within, within the country.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think the big eye opener for those players would be, it is different training when you're in that, in that environment compared to training at your club. And it'd be interesting to to hear about how those players get on. If anyone shines, if anyone is caught lacking and, and, you know, hopefully that group's looking really competitive.
1: Yeah, I think it's quite a large group from what from what I know. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's really good that a lot of players are going to get the opportunity to put themselves forward and put their best self forward. And, and hopefully in the period of time from December to now, players have gone away and and done what we sort of said in that first podcast and, and bought into what it takes to be the next level of player up, both in terms of strength and conditioning and the gym work, like we've already mentioned today, but also in terms of understanding themselves technically and tactically. You know, we talked about, you know, what kind of player are you? You know, what are your strengths and weaknesses and playing into playing in not only just playing into your strengths, but working and solidifying those weaknesses. And I think it's really important that those players now really understand that when you go into that environment, it's not a case of just being there and playing and it not being competitive. You're all fighting for the same shirt. You know, only 12, maybe 14 players will go on whatever journey it is for England Futsal over the next 12 months. So, being in the right mindset and being in the right condition and understanding what you're going for is going to be really important for that new set of players who haven't been around that environment uh, previously. Yeah, and I think,
0: you know, we've worked with Sean in the past. He was uh, in the capacity of assistant for Scoobs back when it was under the FA. I've obviously had experience working for Juan and sort of knowing how those guys work. I think the thing you mentioned there about being aware of people's strengths are they doing the stuff away are they working on the mental side of the game I'm pretty sure they're going to be part of that selection process so either the players are doing it great all aboard or it'll it'll come out pretty quickly if if they're not I think and that that'll apply across all all sides of it I think and and the good thing about Sean and Juan is they're probably trying to help those players develop in that regard as well so they don't have to be the perfect diamond but I think they'll show this is what good looks like and then up to them really if they want to do those extra sessions or try and improve themselves.
1: Yeah, I think I'm really interested um to to get feedback from from the group that go on what they think the difference of of an international training camp in terms of intensity and and, and pressure, not necessarily mental pressure, but sort of physical ball pressure and the speed of the game, what that looks like in comparison to their sort of week-in, week-out Sunday NFS game, because we've obviously talked about, you know, just playing well in NFS isn't necessarily a barometer for being naturally making that step up. You know, I think, you know, mistakes are a lot less punished in the NFS than they are when you make the, the step up. And the first sort of rung on that ladder is the international training camp, where actually you've got maybe 25 to the 30, in theory, sort of strongest players within the country training together. So how you can you thrive in that environment um, so that you can then build on your experience to thrive in the next environment? Yeah, I used, I used to love
0: well. that. I used to love those internal games and all the mini games and stuff. It was really, it was really good fun because you, you have to be absolutely on it.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like, like we've said, I mean, probably more so you than me. Um, you're very competitive. Uh, you want to win everything. Whereas for me, you know, certainly in the... In training camps, it's very much. I've probably got a slightly different mentality than you have in that I'm. I'm more focused on making sure that there's consistency there, rather than looking at the winning. It's the performance, and you might have changed your mindset over the past couple of years at Bloomsbury and working with different groups of players. But previously, you were very much. uh, I want to win this training game, whereas I was very much. uh, Well, how did we win this training game? And was it was it performance and rather than results based. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm definitely still. Uh, I'm the. Well, I'm Jockey Ball Champion 2024, so <laughs> everything that needs to be said is isn't that title right there. Um. So yeah, we'll 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 cover cover that a little bit more, I think, as it comes up. Um. But we just don't have enough time to talk about sort of last topic we had lined up for today's quick app in terms of the the clubs and how the uh, NFS on the male side will look next season based on how the teams are performing and how that's shaping up. So yeah, quite exciting, obviously, in tier one, but I think we're going to put a bit of light onto tier two. So looking at the National Futsal Series site, as it stands, we have fellow content lords, East Riding, running top of the table there on 24 points and hot on their heels. You've got Birmingham, Bolton Beat and Liverpool all on 21 with Liverpool having played a game less. Um, Cookie, I think you might have a bit more insight than me, given that Bolton Beer in this league and, and can talk a little bit around how that league's shaping
1: up and, and what you think's kind of the pattern there. Yeah, so I think my experience with Tier 2 North um, over the, the past 12 months, uh, I've watched uh, quite a lot of our Tier 2 uh, games back on, on sort of video, but I've also been to a couple of them live. I think it's a very competitive league. I think, uh, you know, Liverpool, Birmingham and and East Riding, who are sort of in that top bracket and ultimately fighting for promotion, I, I think as they are now, I think all three would potentially struggle in Tier One um, in the way that Kent have previously. Um, I know York and Derby have come up from that Tier Two North and and ultimately done done well, but I I do believe that the three who are there are probably a little bit below those at the moment. Um, I know they they all do good work um, and they've all got you know, their own style of play. They might have access to, to signing players if they get into tier one. But right now, uh, based on what I've seen, bearing in mind that our Bolton B team have, have played them all across the board. And, you know, whilst I, listen, I'm a huge advocate for our B team. And I think when it's when it's all the young lads and everybody together, I think they're a really good futsal team. And they've struggled a little bit physically from time to time. You know, East Riding really sort of dominated the physical battle against them. I suppose it's how that translates up into the next tier where you might not be playing against Loughborough B, Bolton B, Manchester B, and you're playing against Loughborough's first team, Manchester's first team and Bolton's first team. So it's a really interesting league because of those B teams. But having said that, actually, those B teams really do make the division competitive because I think the next level down within the north in tier three, the teams are not ready for the NFS Um, they're definitely not clubs and a lot of them are just teams and there's a lot of work to be done to get them up to the level um, and then obviously we can have a discussion around tier two and what that looks like. We've recently played Genesis who you know I think everybody across the country knows that as individuals they've got some really talented players you know Claudio is there and we we know Cauway from our Helvesia days whilst you know Back then, futsal-wise, he probably wasn't quite ready and the, the squad we had was really strong. As an individual, you could see straight away that he was supremely oh, talented. Lights out, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, lightning fast, amazing feet, both footed. And as you saw against us, he he, he can do some amazing things on the futsal court. He's,
0: he's how I would draw the ultimate flary Brazilian player. And that is why English players don't get a look in abroad because there's 10 coways in every team. And they bring them over and they they just they cause havoc. They they just score goals and they're rapid. Um, just just going back to the the north. I think you know I'm I'm really excited for riding to go up. I think they haven't had a shot in the in the top league yet, and I know they do a lot of hard work behind the scenes. And I think it would be a good reward for them. Um, obviously Birmingham, another big name down there as well. Would love to get Birmingham back up. Um, and Liverpool as well. Liverpool haven't been up there since it was sort of north south uh, way back when. And obviously, they've got a bit of um, pedigree as well.
1: Yeah, well, that uh, was that Liverpool, my first home. But again, you're going back sort of 15 years there. I, I agree with you. I think, I think it would be good to see his ride in. Uh, I think uh, from out of the three teams, when you look at the, the club side of it, they've got a B team in tier three. And I know the effort that Danny and Dave put in to their junior setup. Which for me long term stands them in really good stead. Um uh, and I think you know, as I think a lot of the clubs in the north have to go down the academy route because we don't get the influx of, of players that you get in London, um, season on season. So I, I think long term east riding have the the potential to be one of the biggest clubs in the country. Um, they're on their own journey, you know, I think everybody's got their own opinion on their social media presence you know personally i love listening to it you know some of it's uninformed uh, or ill-informed but some of it is is great and at the end of the day it's content and all they're doing is giving their opinion and actually the work they do behind the scenes you know they've got hundreds of kids playing in their youth leagues gives them a right to have an opinion um and whether it's right wrong or indifferent the way they go about certain things maybe doesn't align with everybody but the work they do behind the scenes is probably more than, I would say, at least 75 to 80% of the clubs within the country. So fair play to them on that front.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And and again, going going back to the south, so Genesis obviously have had stints in top division. They're running away with it right now. Top of the league, 30 points. We've got Kent then in second on 22 with the game in hand. And then probably not sure if they're going to be close enough, but sort of south end, Bloomsbury Bay and Mavericks um, floating away a little bit behind that. Um, yeah, look, looking at that South Division, some of the teams we've got in there: Baku, Cambridge. They've they've been in the the upper leagues, obviously Baku more than anyone else. But I think Genesis being back in there would be good. I think obviously saw saw the game. Uh, Bolton played against them. Um, nice to meet you in the knocked out of the League Cup room because obviously uh, Maidenhead beat Bloomsbury as well. So flowers to both those teams. Um, on those deserved results. Uh, But yeah, Genesis, do you reckon they'd they'd do well in the top division?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they've got something that not every club's got in terms of that individual ability that we've already mentioned. And I think you put that with the little bit of organisation they've got and they can be very difficult to beat. I think, does it translate across to being competitive week in week out in tier one when travel becomes an issue and commitment potentially becomes one of the questions I I think that's one of the things Genesis have often struggled with but you know like we've just said about East Riding you know Trevor at Genesis has been around the sport a long time he does great things for his community in a different kind of way I, I think the club is is a huge asset to futsal in England, and I'd love them to be able to make the step up and, and hopefully keep the same level of commitment and performance they've had in tier two south because I do believe that uh, on playing ability, they're a tier one team.
0: Yeah, I, I think Claudio alone, you know, he was MVP, I think two seasons in a row, arguably, Liam wasn't good enough. Um, but I think he might have squeezed it but yeah, Claudio got it two years in a row obviously due injury dependent those two players held it down for Helvesia, uh and helped them win multiple titles so I think they they definitely deserve to be up there if that has to be with Genesis then that's fair um, I think just looking at kind of number of clubs as well that we have in London obviously Bloomsbury's there with Helvetia going I think there they definitely needs to be a second London team in there just for the pool of players that there are um, obviously we don't want it to be a, a kind of full London league but if we did that do you reckon there's space for it to then be north-south would that ever make sense again
1: yeah I mean we, we've had this discussion around the women's game and I think we said following the the, the podcast with Catherine that I think you can ask the same question uh, I think my personal opinion is that since the, the, the men's pathway went uh, national in 2017-18 that the the quality on court has probably diminished and and dropped off to this point now, uh, which we've said previously. Certainly from an individual point of view, now we might see an uplift in a returning players. You know we've seen the England team come back, which has in turn uh, Nathan Davis has resigned for Wessex, who obviously is an England international. I haven't spoken to Nathan, but I would assume that that has played a part in it. Will we see more players return? Uh, Jordan Deere was was is already in my ear pre Christmas before that announcement about coming back. he's currently injured, whether he comes back for next season, so we might see an increase in quality on court, but I personally wouldn't be averse to seeing the league go back to north south if we if the clubs could could justify it and we come together sort of top four top four and create sort of that mini sort of super league slash playoffs system. After Christmas, just so that we can all try and grow the player pool again, because I, I do think it's really hard to justify to some young players travelling up and down the country for a handful of minutes, because you know it is a competitive league, and you know we have said that sometimes it's it's stupidly intense for no reason and for no real purpose, but that makes it difficult for new players, whether it be coming from a football background or coming from you know under-16s football, style where it's maybe completely different. You know, does does a north south split allow them to get more minutes at a, a better sort of level for them, a more accommodating level, shall we say, to keep them in the game? You know, I've said it more than once. I think everybody's biggest job is to keep players in the game. It's a tricky
0: equation, isn't it? But ultimately, is how do we get the most competitive games whilst keeping the most players engaged? Um, for me, even more than that, it would just be having games every weekend. Not having the big breaks, obviously dropping out this year is absolutely morphed our schedule into some months we've got one game, some months we've got four games. It's just so difficult, and I think we could condense it. Be my preferred uh, preferred view. And then if it's north south, whatever, I think doesn't probably doesn't impact a club like Broomsbury as much, where we we're, we're not getting probably as many young players through as we did in previous seasons. Right now, but in the future, when we do get those young players, then I think it would make more sense to have less travel for them to have a couple minutes it's a bit easier to convince them whereas like you say if, if you're taking four young lads just to play a handful of minutes I completely get that you don't want them travelling six hours makes no sense
1: yeah, yeah. And it, 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 take our game on Sunday for instance you know we I used five of our tier two team oldest one being uh, just turned 18 so I think there was three, three 16 year olds a 17 year old an 18 year old and that was a great opportunity for us to to get them minutes. Um, okay, it was a cup game, but actually it was local. So I'd, if the game for for any reason had, had maybe not gone the way that I I thought it would, and you know Manchester would run away with the early doors, I wouldn't have felt quite as pressured to continue to give them minutes if we'd have been because we were local, as I would have been if we'd have been playing down in in Bloomsbury and we'd have travelled four hours to get there and four hours to get home it's very difficult to then go actually this isn't a game for you because I need to protect you not necessarily because you're not good enough but actually there's different sides to the reasons you put players in the squad so as I said in my pre-match notes I was apprehensive last week because it's the first time I'd probably put that many players um, against uh, the level of opposition as Manchester and whilst I I think they they, they'll go on to be some of the strongest players in the in the league over the next five years. They're still only kids, and and it's my job to protect them. So putting them on a small court against Manchester was potentially the first time I've put them at risk from being, you know, unprotected. But having the opportunity to do that locally was a lot better than it would have been if I'd have had somebody in the cup four hours away. So again, thinking about the the location of games and the north-south split and whether the cup stays regional for a lot longer so that we're only travelling an hour to an hour and a half. And don't get me wrong, local in the north is different to local in the south, you know, because a north division for us would probably include York, probably include Birmingham and Sunderland and they're all an hour and a half to two to three hours away. So it isn't that much more local, but at the same time, I just, I do see the benefit in it personally.
0: Yeah, I really like that idea. A cup, north south, would absolutely make sense to me. Mm.
1: I, know, I know the league. I know. I know. Chris, I've spoke. To Chris had a meeting on uh, with all the the NFS clubs uh, through the week, and I know he's got ideas of of how he wants to run cup competitions next year to try and basically, like you just said, streamline the league a little bit, um, so that we don't have these breaks where teams have been knocked out and and you're not playing for you know two to three to four weeks. You know, we've, we've really struggled at the start of this season, uh, so, sorry, start of this calendar year because we've had two games in ultimately nine weeks. And it's been really difficult to, to, to sort of keep everybody on, on the right task, you know, with, with other commitments and, and everything else. We've obviously had a few issues with venue and delays there and training and whatnot, which has played a part in it. But not having games regularly can, like you say, can, can kill your momentum and your, your enthusiasm sometimes as a player. 100%. It's, it's like pre season again. I've had four weeks off, and I've got to go
0: and oh, Matt, this is how I've got to get fit again because I've not had my match sharpness. It's it's tough, it's tough. But yeah, we've uh, we've whistled stop on some topics there. Is there anything else you wanted to wanted to cover before we wrapped up?
1: No, I think we've we've mentioned everything we sort of wanted to cover, and you know we talked about we've got a couple of pre-recorded podcasts with with Mitch and and with a couple of the the Broomby ladies players, and we've also got a few lined up in the next couple of weeks. So one I'm really looking forward to is Martin Turner, um, who obviously was our uh, sports psychologist at England. And I know you had a good relationship with him and spoke to him a lot. And likewise, I, you know, I've, I've found Martin to be a really, you know, good person in terms of helping me not only sort of deal with the mental side of, of sports and and playing for England, but just stuff you can relate to everyday life. You know, I've not, uh, shied away from talking about my sort of mental health issues publicly, and you know having those kind of discussions with somebody like Martin and getting his thoughts and his opinions on you know various different topics, I think will be really interesting listen for everybody out there.
0: absolutely. I couldn't speak higher of him as a person as you know what his job is as a psychologist. I think he's a great guy, like you said, helped me massively. and I think that psychology on the whole i've I've always been a huge huge fan of and martin turned me on to that side of the side of life really i think i wasn't really aware of it and yeah ch- definitely changed me for the better on that side so absolutely can't wait to have those chats um bit of a higgled the the episode this week um just wanted to reflect on some of the things from, and again say thanks to everyone for their involvement listening being a part of the pod asking those questions really appreciate the engagement if there's anything you think we should cover, any questions we're not asking, just want to give us some abuse, please definitely reach out, uh, Twitter DMs, or you know where we live. Thanks, everyone, and speak soon. Cheers,
1: guys. Thanks for listening. Wagwan!
0: <laughs> he was there all along. Fortunately.